Welcome to the I Love to Watch You Play.com podcast with Dr. Sam Minyar, our resident sports psychologist. Our mission help you be the best sports parent or coach you can be. And we do this by talking to the top experts and newsmakers in youth sports and drilling down on the topics that are most important to the health, happiness, and success of you and your athlete. Really excited to have him. Dr. Collins is the director of the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center Sports Medicine Concussion Program. He has served as a consultant to the NFL, the NHL, USA Rugby, US Lacrosse, and I could go on and on and on with many other organizations. Um, He has been really instrumental in developing a lot of concussion uh, safeguard programs and concussion management programs, including uh, being the co-lead author for the Center for Disease Control's Concussion Toolkit for Physicians, Um, and, and just really seen as an expert in the field. So we're really thrilled to have him and uh, really look forward to your questions today. So welcome, Dr. Collins. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate being here. Uh, So maybe we could start off. I'm just curious how you got involved in working with concussions. You know, where'd your interest stem from? You know, that's a great question. And I was a, I played baseball in college um, and was a big sports fan, sports person, athlete. I played three sports in high school and went on to play baseball and sports were a very important part of my life. My dad was a high school coach. He coached me in three sports, you know, just kind of that mentality. Um, And then I got to school and I don't know why, but I became enamored with the brain. I just was fascinated by it. And I was getting into, into the brain sciences and knew I wanted to do that for a living but I really miss sports. And I said to myself, how in the world could I combine these two things? And it was around the time that uh, Steve Young and Troy Aikman were having problems with concussion. And I literally had this epiphany watching something on TV about it, saying to myself, oh my goodness, that's something I could do. And, and at that moment, I sort of kicked off the idea of that. And it just, I don't know, I could tell you a lot of stories, but it, you know, it ended up being what I do for a living and I love my job and I love what I do. I think there's, when I started doing this, there were very few people in the world doing it and it's become a hot button topic, but it wasn't that way when I started, you know, it was how many fingers am I holding up and how many, and you know, smelling salts that got people back to play. And the advances we've made in the last two decades is, is unbelievable in terms of our knowledge of this injury and the way we treat it and how we can get people better from it. That's great. And I'm sure we'll get into some of that today. Um, and I'm excited to hear about some of those advances. Could you start by maybe explaining to our audience what is a concussion? How do you how do you define what a concussion is? Yeah, I think it's important to know, you know, I'll, let me make it very basic. Um, the, the brain is like an egg yolk inside an eggshell. Uh, the egg shell moves, the brain moves within the shell. And when when the egg yolk moves, what what happens to the brain when it moves inside the skull is probably everyone in this audience has heard what a neuron is. It's the cells in our brain. Well, the membrane to the cell will stretch when the brain moves in the skull. And when the membrane to the cell stretches, there's this little chemical called potassium that will leak out of the, out of that stretch membrane. And when potassium goes out of the, out of the neuron, there's an increased demand for glucose or energy. At the same time, there's this little chemical called calcium that's supposed to be outside the cell that will leak into the cell. And that causes our blood vessels to constrict. And that's what supplies, blood is what supplies energy. 
So concussion is this mismatch between demand of energy and supply of energy. And the, the cell struggles to operate at its normal efficiency. There's no cell death. We don't see this on CT scan or MRI. There's no blood test to measure this. But that energy problem results in certain systems in the brain decompensating and not working as efficiently as, they sh as, as the system should. And I know we're going to get into this, Sam, but we've actually learned now there's different types of concussions based upon that energy problem and its effects. And, its effects. Sure. and if you match the right treatment to the right problem, you get better from this. Um, but at the end of the day, concussion is an energy crisis to the cell that results in functional impairments that arise from the, from the brain moving inside the skull. Okay. So you alluded to, and that's very helpful. You alluded to the fact that there's really no blood test to, to be able to determine this. So, so how are concussions diagnosed or how should they be diagnosed? Very carefully and, and, and by a specialist that knows how to do it. Um, if there's one thing we've learned, this has become a specialist injury and we've developed tools to measure the injury. Um, because there's no CT or MRI or, you know, at this point, a, a biomarker that's hit the big time. Um, we have to use things like neurocognitive testing. Mm -hmm. um, you have to ask the right questions and you have to do the right physical exam. And we've created physical exam. We've created a lot of the tools here through UPMC. Um, we created the, the, the impact test here, uh, the neurocognitive test, and that's used throughout sports. Mm -hmm. That's a test that looks at cognition and in a perfect world, we'd have baseline on kids. Uh, and then when there's an injury, repeat that test. And, and if there's certain areas of deficit, it correlates with what we see with concussion. Um, you don't have to have a baseline for that test to be effective since we have normative data we can use. But that test is a very important piece of the puzzle. But so is in a test that we, a physical exam called the VOMS, which stands for the Vestibular Ocular Motor Screening Test. We've created a five-minute physical exam that in a very sensitive way can determine if someone's had a concussion. And also, you know, asking the right questions about symptoms and understanding risk factors. It, you got to put this puzzle together. It's pretty coherent when you know how to do that. Uh, but if you're not using those kinds of tools and using the right answer, asking the right questions, you know, you want to make sure you see a specialist that's able to do all that to, to, you know, to diagnose this the right way and to get the right treatment plan in place. Sure. And I, I do want to get to the vestibular and the ocular in a little bit, but I, I'd like to stay broader for, for a moment. Uh, but while you're talking about the appropriate diagnosis, can you help our audience understand the difference between a neurologist and a neuropsychologist? Sure. Um, both could be very uh, specialist in concussion, but both might not be as well. <laughs> so okay. um, it, it's, it's not who you see it's as much their specialty training and, and concussion is needs to be seen by a specialist who, who's trained in concussion management and no one owns the field. You know, there's some very good sports medicine physicians doing this. There's very good neuropsychologists, there's very good neurologists. Um, there's good PM and R physicians that might do it, um, et cetera. Um, the most important thing is knowing that the person has the experiences and the training for concussion. Now, to answer your question, Sam, and I kind of beat around the bush on that, you know, a neuropsychologist, our job, I'm a neuropsychologist and I'm, I've studied to understand brain behavior relationships. And that's my expertise and that's what I do uh, and that's what I was trained in. And concussion is a brain behavior problem. Uh, and 
we take a very functional approach to this. And as a neuropsychologist, we're trained to take a functional approach to things. Um, with neurology, uh, they're very uh, adept and erudite in terms of understanding the structure of the brain. Um, this isn't a structural brain injury. This is a functional brain injury. Um, and so just because you're a neurologist doesn't mean you're trained in this area. There's some neurologists that are very well trained, but most aren't. Um, so you got to be careful with who you see for this injury and make sure they are trained in concussion. That's helpful. And, and just to plug, if you have questions, if you're listening live right now, if you have questions, feel free to type them in the chat and, and we'll, uh, we'll ask them to Dr. Collins. Um, so, you know, the, our audience here is predominantly, uh, parents or coaches of youth sports. So um, I've seen lots of data and I know that the data has changed over time. Um, you know, a lot of data from the CDC and elsewhere, but could, could you, if, if you were trying to estimate the prevalence of concussion in youth sport or high school sport, however you want to segment the, the population down, like what are some numbers like that we're talking about here? Yeah, um, there's up to 3.8 million concussions in sports and recreation alone in this country per year. That's wow. pretty striking. About one in 10 contact sport athletes will have a concussion per season. Um, when you look at sports, what's one of the more fascinating things is if you look at sports where the between genders where the rules are the same, for example, basketball, hockey, soccer, uh, the incidence of concussion is higher in females than it is in male. And that's and why is that a lot of reasons we feel um, I'll get into this later, I'm sure. But um, one of the biggest risk factors for concussion is a history of car sickness, believe it or not. And girls are more likely to be car sick than boys. Huh. One of the other major risk factor for concussion is migraine. Girls are six times more likely to have migraine than boys. Uh, neck strength plays or could play a role uh, in that. Uh, hormonal influences may play a role. We've published some research on that. Um, but clearly, when you look at the same sport and the same rules between males, females, we see a higher, put it this way, we have about 20,000 cases come through our clinic a year here. About 60% are female and 40% are male. Um, okay. So, you know, we really do see that kind of split in terms of the, in terms of how this break, injury breaks down. And, and based on the research I've looked at, it sounds like, I think this would be no surprise, at least number one, sounds like football has the highest uh, incidence of concussion. And then- No, you're study... actually wrong, Sam. Oh, okay, great. So I'll, great. So I'll, bet you, I'll bet you five bucks you can't tell me what sport has the highest incidence of concussion. Uh, uh, I'll say girls soccer. No, you know, I get my five bucks back. It's, it's, huh? it's actually, it's equestrian sports. Ah, up to 90% of equestrian athletes will have a concussion in their lifetime. I do oh, my that. goodness. Nine out okay. of 10. And the reason why is because that's a big beast they fall off of, you know, and sure. there's a lot of forces involved with that. But, yeah, equestrian sports is number one. Uh, football is up there, obviously. Uh, you know, women's soccer uh, is up there. Hockey is up there. Um, you know, force equals mass times acceleration and, you know, the heavier something is, the faster it's moving, the more forces that are impacted, and that can result in the brain moving inside the skull. But the, the, the reality is concussion can happen in a lot of different ways, and we see so many patients with car accidents and slip and falls and bike riding, and I saw a kid this morning fell off a skateboard and had a horrible injury. Um, so, hmm. you know, there's a lot of ways you can get hit in the head. Okay. Um, so we do have a question. 
that uh, from from an audience member here, and it, I'll read it out loud for those listening on the podcast. Are any concussion management specialists using the brain trauma indicator within 12 hours to measure proteins released within the blood after concussion? There's been some interesting studies looked at there's, there's some new saliva tests that are being looked at for concussion. And there's been some, some initial positive things with that, but the research, mm, there's a recent study that just came out looking at saliva tests and, and measuring concussion, different biomarkers within saliva. And, they did find that that test was sensitive to concussion. The problem was, is they excluded people that had milder injuries. And so they only looked at people that had like really obvious concussions, loss of consciousness, posturing. Studies has been done, but there's still a lot more work to be done looking at that. There's no biomarker right now that I would use in my clinic to diagnose this concussion because there's more research that's needed. There's a lot of smart people looking at that, but at this point in time, they're not ready for prime time. Uh, could that change? Possibly, but possibly not as well. We've been looking for a biomarker for Alzheimer's disease for four decades and haven't found it. So the brain's sure. a complicated thing. Um, and even if there is a biomarker, it's not gonna be as simple as black and white with this. It's, it's a very complex organ. And even if we have a biomarker, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to lead to proper treatment and all that kind of stuff. Look, I'm in favor of all this research. It's great. There's some really smart people looking at it. There's a lot of work to be done before there's sure. a biomarker for this injury. For sure. So what you, you alluded to, to this earlier when you were talking about some factors that increase or decrease concussion risk. And you talked about neck strength and you talked about hormones, migraines. I think you said motion sickness or car sickness. What are some other factors that increase or decrease the, the risk of a concussion? I'd say the number one factor from in terms of our research and my, in my clinical experience is anxiety. Um, patients that have a hot sympathetic nervous system or have a lot of anxiety, we find that there's less force that causes concussion and the outcomes are more significant. There's a lot of biology between certain systems that are affected by concussion in the nervous system. And so we see some synergies there. But the, the, the biggest risk factors for this injury, anxiety, history of car sickness, history of migraine, history of lazy eye or strabismus is a big risk factor. Okay. Um, being female, uh, those would be the biggest ones. And believe it or not, those are all more predictive than prior history of concussion and predicting bad outcomes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, so I was going to get to the anxiety piece later, but since you brought it up, I, I kind of want, I, I've had many of my clients, I, I too am a psychologist. And so in my clinical work, I've, I've had many of my clients uh, who had anxiety pre-concussion um, struggle and their concussion symptoms tend to linger. And I've also had a lot of many clients who've been sent to you who have come back with a prescription for an anti-anxiety medication and have done very well on that. So can, can you help our audience understand a little bit more uh, in layman's terms of the relationship between anxiety and, and concussions and recovery? I'll do my best and it's actually very interesting stuff, Sam. So one of the, we've learned there's six different types of concussions. One of the more common types is a problem to a system in the brain called the vestibular system. That's the part of the brain that a lot, it's, there's two parts of that, the ear and the brain. And when we injure the brain part of that, uh, that system is responsible 
for interpreting motion, stabilizing our vision. We move our head. It allows us to um, be in busy environments like grocery stores and shopping center and car rides. Concussion is an energy problem. That system will commonly decompensate from that energy problem. When that system decompensates after a head injury, you'll feel this weird, foggy, kind of slow, wavy, dizzy, environmentally sensitive, car sick, nauseous, headache, fatigue, crud. It's horrible. It's a bad feeling. The vestibular system is the same pathways in the brain that subserve the vestibular system subserves our sympathetic nervous system. And so if you decompensate the vestibular system, you're going to see increased levels of anxiety physiologically. Heart rate will increase, sympathetic nervous system becomes involved, thoughts go faster, uh, difficulties falling and staying asleep, feeling overwhelmed, panic feeling, panicky feelings in your chest. Uh, you know, everything kind of speeds up. It's a fight or flight response. And a lot of patients who leaned in the anxiety direction, I always say this, concussion fights dirty. Whatever you bring to the table that's weak or a problem will get outed after an injury. If you have a history of lazy eye, you're more likely to have ocular problems. You have a history of learning disability, you're more likely to have cognitive problems. If you have a history of car sickness, you're more likely to have vestibular problems. If you have a history of migraine, you're more likely to have migraine. And if you have a history of anxiety, you're more likely to be anxious. Uh, and we've published papers on all those topics. And there's a very strong synergy, biologically speaking, about some of these very precious systems in the brain and autonomic arousal or anxiety. So it sounds like the concussion tends to bring out uh, or exacerbate uh, even pre-baseline types of uh, yeah, things that we've been Yeah, you said a lot of patients you sent to me, Sam, we put on meds. I don't like to do meds. And in fact, I don't do them most of the time. There's very good behavioral treatments for these problems. And the way you treat a vestibular problem, by the way, how do you know how to treat that? Um, I, I do not. Exposure. <laughs> okay. You have to retrain it. And how do you treat anxiety? You know that for sure. Exposure. Yeah, absolutely. Retraining. Yeah. And so when kids that have that type of concussion, the vestibular problem, get told that they shouldn't do anything and rest in a dark room and not exercise, by definition, that is the worst possible thing you could do for that type of concussion. Right. And yet that's what we used to tell people to do, right? That's what a lot of people are still told to do. Sure. And it depends on what type of concussion you have as to what sort of approach you'll take from in the injury. And that's why, again, seeing a specialist is so important. Okay. If clinicians are not talking in these terms about, you know, where, where the signal's coming from and how to treat it, um, there are very good treatments for all these types of concussions that we see in kids, the great, great, great majority of kids and professional athletes that we see can recover from this and get back to the sports they love. There are treatments available. Okay, great. Um, so, you know, the the old school, and it sounds like, unfortunately, many uh, professionals are still recommending some of these old school sit in a dark room and, um, you know, stay away from any stimulation and so forth. Uh, wh what are some other treatments, recommended treatments? And I know it depends on the type of concussion, uh, but yeah. what are some other recommended treatments that, that may help? Well, there's a lot of information out there, misinformation there about concussion. There's a lot of treatments that have not been proven empirically to work. Um, the things that have been proven empirically or research-wise, you know, evidence-based approaches, 
again, it depends on the type of concussion, but vestibular therapy for vestibular problems, okay. oculomotor therapy for oculomotor or eye stuff. Um, right, so that would be like, you know, the, the, uh, the yeah, but there's a lot more thing. to it than that. Okay. There can be different <laughs> types of oculomotor issues that happen. Again, you got to target the right thing. Okay. Um, but you know, there's a lot of physical therapies, vestibular therapy, ocular therapy, exertion therapy. We actually work people out here that are symptomatic and have a very good success treating people through working out in specific mm -hmm. ways. Depends on where the injury is breaking down. Um, there's also, you know, there's medications if we need it. Uh, but behaviorally, we have very good approaches to this. We have psychotherapy and cognitive th behavioral therapy for anxiety. Mm -hmm. And there are medications if we need to do that. So there are, we have randomized controlled trials that we're doing now extensively looking at proving the efficacy of these treatments. We're having very good outcomes on those RCTs. And so that's where the field needs to move to is, you know, show me the data. And, right. and that's what we're doing. It's exciting. Uh, that, it is exciting. Now, now two newer treatments that, that I've recently read about, I'd kind of, I'd love to hear your thoughts on them. One is around um, cooling the, the neck and head. Um, and then another is around using bright light therapy. Um, do you, do you have any thoughts or, uh, neither of those have been proven empirically to work for this. Um, there's, there's a, a scan is a little bit of literature on severe TBI and cooling. And, and there's some spotty research that shows it's effective, but we're talking about patients and, and, you know, with severe traumatic brain injury, these are not concussed patients. There's no evidence to suggest cooling is going to help with concussion in any way, shape, or form. And I certainly wouldn't recommend that for my patients. Okay. Um, the same goes for bright light therapy. Um, there's no con well-controlled studies showing that it's going to be effective or not. Um, we wouldn't use that. We wouldn't use that here either. Sure. Great. So that's, um, that's, what, that's, what, that's why we have you on today to kind of correct or, or clarify some things in, in the public. So, Let's get back to uh, you know youth sport and and you know in the in the last few years in particular there've been a lot of safeguards put in place and changes and so forth. So you know what recommendations do you have for youth sport safeguards or guidelines? Well, I think the NFL has done a good job of 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 looking at the data and then applying rule changes that can help the sport. Look, if you can prevent concussion from happening in the first place, you you that's going to be the best thing we could do to, to, sure. to help the injury. Right. And, you know, there's been kickoff rule changes because they found kickoffs had a lot of concussions and they made some rule changes there and it's been effective. Dr. Alan Sills is a CMO for the NFL and has done a great job with his leadership kind of coming up with ideas as to how to make the safe, the sport safer. And he's done a really good job with that. Um, so there's some rule changes now, but we can't get out on top of our skis with this. We've got to make sure data is leading the way. And, and if you make a right. rule change, it could actually be uh, harmful in some ways if it's not done correctly through evidence, you know. But yep. I would say that rule changes have been helpful. Um, one misnomer out there is that, you know, different helmet technology is going to definitely be effective at reducing concussion. There's been some work done in that. But, you know, we haven't found that a certain type of helmet is going to make much of a difference in terms of the incidence or severity of concussion. My rule of thumb is that the best way to prevent problems with concussion is to manage it effectively when you have one. One thing we know that works in terms of getting people better faster 
is that patients, patients that have symptoms in the field, get them off the field. We just did a study published in pediatrics where we looked at a very large group of athletes, half of whom had symptoms of concussion and came out of play immediately. And the other half had symptoms of concussion and continued to play for 15 minutes on average. The patients that continued to play for 15 minutes on average took twice as long to recover than those that came off the field quickly. Wow. It was something like 19 versus 46 days. So wow. more than more than more than twice as long. Playing for 15 extra minutes added another 30 something days onto the recovery or whatever it is, 29 days or whatever it is. Um crazy, right? So it's it we know that playing through this injury is harmful for your outcomes. And so when you have signs and symptoms of injury, if you come out of play, we can get patients better a lot faster. And, and so I think that that's the best information to give parents right now is be aware of the signs and symptoms of injury. Look, these are sports. Every sport carries a risk of this. The mm -hmm. good news is it's treatable, but you need to be treated for it to be treatable. Um, and it's also an injury. There's a lot of misinformation er, in, information out there about cumulative effects of injury. If you manage a concussion effectively, we don't see an increased risk of either having another one or more severe outcomes. And we've published some papers on that. If it's managed properly, you can mitigate a lot of poor outcome. Sure. So we have another uh, comment um, and, and it has to do with coaches and assessing uh, concussions. And it goes, our coaches assess every player that sustains an injury with an app and will sit the player out immediately if there is suspicion of concussion. So, you know, when we don't have a trained uh, medical provider available, which is usually the case in youth sport, um, a lot of this falls on the coaches to determine whether there's been a potential concussion. So uh, what is your thought? What should they look for? Um, you know, I'm sure when in doubt, sit them out is probably the, the rule of thumb here. Right. But, but yeah. what are some things or, or some proven, uh, ways that, that coaches can, can accurately assess? It's, it, it's hard, Sam. This is not an easy injury to assess. You know, um, when I talked about the vestibular system being involved with this injury, most of the time you don't see those problems arise till later after the injury. Um, I'll give you a quick anecdote. We got time here. Um, so my daughter, um, I have four daughters. Uh, they're all athletes. Um, one of them was playing soccer and she got drilled with a ball, you know, kicked ball from 10 yards, hit her in the head. She went down to the ground. Um, she got up immediately. She felt like some vision changes. She felt there was some blackened vision. She felt this slow, wavy, dizzy feeling. Um, she felt kind of foggy, you know, one step behind, detached. She didn't know what was wrong with her. Um, they were smart enough to take her to the sideline um, because it was a pretty apparent injury. I wasn't. I was not at the game, by the way. Um, neither was my wife. Uh, uh, and she gets to the sideline, and the coach asked her what time it was. <laughs> uh, and Peyton looked at the clock and said, "Oh, it's 11:30," because this doesn't affect your being able to tell time, you know, right. and they asked her if she had a headache and she said no, because she actually didn't. Um, and they asked her some orientation questions. What day of the week is it? You know, blah, blah, blah. And she answered all those questions properly. Um, and they put her back to play. Uh, and she went back to play and she developed a very severe headache. 
she developed very severe dizziness. And then on the car ride home, she threw up about 10 times and had to go to the emergency room for a CAT scan. Um, again, deadbeat dad, I wasn't there. <laughs> I wish I was. Uh, you know, there's no fault of the coaches there. It was just that they didn't really know how to assess this injury and understand that it can take time to evolve. And many people not, may not realize that on-field dizziness is six times more predictive of bad outcome than any other symptom of concussion. Hmm. If you report the sensation of dizziness, you're six times more likely to take wrong, longer to recover from concussion. Six wow. times more likely than losing consciousness. So the symptoms you want to look for with this injury, slow, wavy, dizzy, foggy, feeling one step behind, detached, removed, obviously headache, nausea, light sensitivity, noise sensitivity, feeling tired, emotional changes, feeling fatigued. Those are hard symptoms to get someone to admit to. You know, it's not an easy thing. If you see an athlete who clutches their head after being hit or has balance problems standing up uh, or is adjusting their eyes a lot, um, these are all no-go signs. You don't put those athletes back to play. It's, it's very simple. And your comment, when in doubt, sit them out, does apply in these situations because this is an injury right. that's subtle and can evolve. To let you know, we have we have some sideline tests that we're we've done a lot of research in some of this stuff, and there's some really cool tests coming down the pike here that will help. And and um, but right now it's a very hard thing to assess, and there's a lot of subjectivity to it. It's not an easy thing, and I don't fault anyone. Everyone has good intentions out there. It's just a lot of times people think this is a black, they don't know how to evaluate it properly. Sure, sure. You mentioned uh, rule changes, and we have a lot of uh, soccer followers uh, for this podcast and also the website. Um, and, and, and a rule change that was made a few years back was heading, uh, eliminating heading for a certain age. And, I, and I've, won, I've always wondered, or my concern, I should say, is that if we don't teach them the proper technique for heading, then when they do uh, are allowed to head all of a sudden, now they don't know how to do it properly. And so what are your thoughts on that rule change? And, and has that been studied empirically to see if that's reduced? I couldn't agree more than you, Sam. Delaying? I really yeah. don't think, based on the data that I'm aware of, that that should have to take place. I think teaching proper technique is essential for reducing poor outcomes later on in life. Same thing goes for tackle football. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you need to learn how to tackle appropriately. Um, there's been a lot of rule changes that have been implemented where I don't necessarily feel there's strong enough data to support those rule changes. And that's one area where I said earlier, some of these rule changes could lead to poorer outcomes down the road if it's, you know, sure. and, and that hasn't been studied, but I'm very much on the same page with your line of thinking there. And I want my kids to know how to head the soccer ball. I want my kids to know right. how to do proper form tackling. And, you know, I often say that awareness with no solution is called hysteria. And that's kind of what's happening a lot with this injury is there's a lot of misinformation out there about this. Um, and there's a lot of awareness, which is a really good thing. And a lot of times, I mean, awareness, if you apply it right, is phenomenal. Concussion's a treatable injury. We've made tremendous advances in understanding that, that there's different types of injuries. There's, you know, there's different types of treatments for those problems. We can get patients better from this. 
There's really good studies going on now looking at, you know, the effects of this injury. And, and, and I, I think that hopefully the right information can, is going to be much more powerful than implementing some rule changes that may or may not have beneficial effect. Sure. And um, hopefully this podcast will at least start shedding some proper information. It, it, it absolutely will. And, and so while, while we're on that kind of line of thought, um, there, there is some, I'll call it research in quotation marks, but um, you can determine whether it's empirical or not. But th- that has looked at you know, number of hits in a week, let's say for football. And I think the number was 50 or 60. Um, and you had alluded to cumulative effects and, you know, there's not a lot of data to support that. So, you know, could you clear up? I, I love that you're not all doom and gloom. Uh, I think a lot of parents are going to be excited about, to hear this. Uh, but, you know, could you clear up the the data or your thoughts on, let's stick with football in particular, the cumulative effects or the numbers of hits um, or certain positions um, or and even numbers of concussions in a year in terms of risk and danger and that sort of thing? Well, we don't know the answer is that. It makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable, but it's true. Um, I can address some of the things you said that we do know about, but um, I would never apply a hit count and take people out of play. There's just not a single iota of data that I would trust that would answer that question definitively because we don't know. We're still, we don't understand. We're doing the first study here that's really looking at this issue prospectively meaning we're looking at a a large group of athletes that have played football for a long time and have a control group where we're looking at a large group of of people that did not play football. And we have the most thorough, comprehensive neurological health evaluation ever conducted known to man that we're doing here in Pittsburgh for a very large sample of people. And we have that study going on right now. And that study has not been done. And in order to have answers, you need proper controls in a large enough sample, and you can't select your population. You have to look at a natural population, right? And so we're doing that here. Give us a few years. We'll have some really good answers on the potential long-term effects of this injury. And I underscore potential because we don't know if they exist or don't. There's not great data looking at that issue. There's been many studies population-based studies looking at people that played football and and band members, for example, and they found no differences long-term, but we need better controlled studies. uh, And those studies are being done. Okay. But there's a lot of, (laughs) a lot of discrepancy out there in the literature about this. Um, For sure. So to think that we could have a hit count that would predict long-term problems is ridiculous because we don't even know if there's long-term problems. And so, you know, there's no pitch count for head injury that I'm, that I would apply at this point in time. Now, look, common sense and our research would tell you if you have a kid that's had three concussions in a year, there's something going on and take them to a clinician. Cause most of the time when I see patients like that, they have a, 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 a an ocular problem that hasn't been treated. They have a vestibular problem that hasn't been treated. They have a migraine problem that hasn't been treated. They have anxiety that hasn't been treated. And once you treat those problems, guess what? They don't get concussed as easily. They can play sports and not worry about this stuff. Um, There's very few, we see about 20,000 cases a year in our clinic here. I don't know if I can count on more than one hand patients that leave this clinic that aren't normal when they leave here. And we're talking patients that are 
years, sometimes years out from injury, we still can treat the great majority of problems that we see with this injury. So I think that that's a, a message point I really want the parents to hear is that treatments are available. And if you have a child that's been getting repetitive concussion, you're not sure why, make sure you take them to a clinic that can do the proper evaluation and do the proper treatment. I'm all about kids getting back to the sports they love. I'm very aggressive with that because we know what normal looks like. And when patients are normal, we get them back to play and we feel really good about it too. Parents don't have to feel guilty about letting their kids play sports. Just make sure it's managed effectively when, when there's an injury. I think that's music to a lot of parents' ears. Um, and, and so it sounds like what you're saying is it's really important to understand the root cause of these concussions, whether that's migraines, whether that's anxiety, whether that's an ocular issue, and, and treat that root cause, not just yeah. the symptoms of the concussion. I often will say, you know, find out where the aberrant signal is coming from and treat it. You know, where right. is the signal coming from? And it can come from a lot of different places. Sure. So, and, and we'll certainly put your uh, your contact information up. And if, if you're anywhere near Pittsburgh, I cannot recommend Dr. Collins enough. Um, even if it's a couple hour drive, I, I, I think it's worth it. But, but for those, we have a national audience. And so, you know, for those who might be in another state, um, or, or, or too far away to come visit you. How do they, how do they find a credible professional to seek out? Yeah. Um, there's, there's very good clinics out there doing this work. I would do your research. Um, there are, I believe the sports neuropsychological society or, or association has a website listing of places, uh, the impact test I believe has clinicians that have, that have been trained and, how to do that stuff that's available. You can go to the impacttest.com website. Um, just make sure you ask around and, and, and word of mouth is always good too. I think there are some organized places to find out where good clinics are, but there's good clinics popping up all the time. Uh, you know, we've had 30 fellows come through our program here in Pittsburgh and they're spread all over the country doing great work and there's great work being done in a lot of places. Um, you know, but you do need to be informed and you, you want to make sure you're seeing a clinician that has experience with this and has the proper training to do it. Sure. And I've got one more question for you, Dr. Collins, but for those that are listening on the podcast and, and can't see uh, what's on the screen, um, if you did want to make an appointment with Dr. Collins, the number to call would be 412-432-3625. And you can also uh, follow UPMC Sports Medicine on Twitter at UPMC Sports, that's plural, med, S-P-O-R-T-S-M-E-D. Um, and so one last question, and I know you said that the vast majority of people who you treat are able to get back to their sport. And, and what I'm about to talk about are probably a very, very small number of uh, people, but, but I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up. So talk to us about post-concussion syndrome. What is that? What does that mean? And then you know, I feel like I have to ask about CTE and concussions and the, the movie Concussion in 2015 probably brought this to light, certainly for a lot of people. And so talk to us about what do we know about post-concussive syndrome? What do we know about CTE? Um, you know, what should we be concerned about? So what should we post, not be concerned about? Yeah, post-concussion syndrome is simply defined as patients that have three or more months of symptoms from injury. That's actually extraordinarily common. We see okay. post-concussion syndrome all the time. Look, if you don't get these problems treated after after a concussion, you're going to end up with post-concussion syndrome because you're not getting okay. it treated. And so 
no, we see patients every day that have that going on, but the, but that's treatable as long as you go to the right place and get the right treatment. Um, there's good treatments for, for the problems that we see from concussion. Now, CTE is, 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 is a construct that is not well-defined scientifically at this point in time. Um, it's potentially, it stands for chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Um, it's a buildup of tau protein in the brain. Um, and there's clearly something wrong in these brains that are being studied in terms of looking at the tau proteins and, and the findings that they see. But we don't know what the etiology or, or the cause of those problems are. Is it concussion? Is it something else? Is it normal base rates for people? Um, you know, is it a different form of dementia unrelated to concussion or is it related to concussion? There's a lot to learn about that. And the, the common narrative is that sports, people that played sports and have repetitive head trauma are at risk for that. Uh, and, you know, but we need better research looking at that and what's causing it. Uh, and also wondering if patients that are treated properly for the concussion, uh, if there does exist, can we mitigate it through proper treatment, which I believe strongly we probably could. So there's a lot to learn about CTE, the movie that was done a long time ago. Um, you know, the science hasn't evolved tremendously to the point where we, we have a lot of answers, even 10 years after that movie was done. There's still a lot of answers to be that need to be done scientifically. Like I said, that work's being done. A lot of, some of it's being done here. Some of it's being done in many other places in the country. Uh, science takes time, uh, be patient and those answers will come, but we don't have a lot of those answers right now. Okay. If you're listening uh, or watching live and you have a question, uh, please get it on. Cause we're, we're almost out of time here. So, um, is there anything else that you want to clear up, Dr. Collins? Or, you know, you, you said there's a lot of misinformation out there. Any parting advice or anything you want to clear up or any? I think the comments? parting advice I would give is that there's, there's a lot of advances we made with this injury. Um, if you have a kid, a child that has a concussion, taking them out of play is the right thing to do. Uh, getting to the right specialist and then you'll get treated appropriately and get healthy and you can get back to play. Uh, if you don't treat it properly, that's the only time you really run into difficulties with this stuff. And um, you don't want to do that. Um, there's a lot of advances. Sports are a wonderful thing. Um, my kids, if I had a boy, I'd let them play football. I don't, I have four girls. They seem like they play football the way they play sports sometimes. <laughs> um, but uh yeah, I think sports are a wonderful thing for kids' developments. And like I said earlier, and I kind of liked what I said, kids shouldn't feel guilty about letting the kids play sports. We've made mm -hmm. tremendous progress with this stuff, and you just want to get to the right clinician for your treatment. Thanks. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So thanks to Dr. Mickey Collins for being our guest today and, and shedding some light on concussions and clarifying a lot of misinformation that's out there. And again, if you're in the Pittsburgh area or, or you know, drivable to Pittsburgh, the UPMC sports uh, concussion program is just a great resource. Uh, there's also a lot of great information on their website as well. Thanks again, Dr. Collins, for joining us. And uh, uh, we're re we were really pleased to have you. Thanks, Sam. Nice, nice meeting you. Take care and appreciate being being on. Thank you. You bet.